Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, if you would please. Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. We'll begin reading at the very beginning of the chapter. Acts chapter number 11 and verse number 1. The Lord has been so good to us. And in His goodness, He has shown us mercy. He has shown His kindness and love. He has shown His patience. Amen. And I am grateful that we're able to gather here together this morning as part of the fellowship. Part of the fellowship of the gospel. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's word as we begin in Acts chapter number 11. And verse number 1. And the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter was come up from Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised, and did eat with them. But Peter Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Certain vessel descended as it had been a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the which, when I fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was sat, where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house. Which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them and on us at the beginning. And they remembered, then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I should withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now they which were scattered abroad from the persecution that rose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word of none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. I want you to notice this phrase. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Father, I pray that your hand would be with us today. For without you, Lord, we can achieve nothing. 
Father, without your hand supplying the air for our lungs, we would asphyxiate. Without your hand massaging the beat of our heart, we would perish. Without your hand holding together all of the principal uh, physics of this universe, it would come unglued. And Lord, I'm asking that your hand would be with us this morning. Father, empty me of myself. And if there be anything that lies between me and you, I pray, Lord, that you would remove it by the blood of the cross. And Father, that you would accomplish your purpose among us today. And dear God, I beg you that if there's any here that have never received Christ as their Savior by faith, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My heart is held captive by that first phrase of verse number 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. We gaze into the history here of the early church and no doubt we see the evidence of God's fingerprint on their life. For God's hand, it seemed, was not just present among this, among them, but His hand gripped their heart and guided their way. It was by the hand of God, it seems, there in Acts chapter number 2, that Peter planted himself above the multitudes and began to preach with the power of, of the Spirit of God. And thousands, thousands came to Christ and believed it was by that unseen yet powerful hand of God that, that Peter and John were sprung from prison after preaching and thousands more came to faith in Christ. It was the dead that were raised back to life. It was the sick that were healed. It was men that had the guts and the courage to launch out into the deep places, the dark places, the dangerous places, but yet they were sustained. And what was it? What was it that carried them there? And what was it that sustained them there? It was the hand of an almighty God. And we see clear as black and white printed in our Bibles here this morning that the reason for the success, the reason for the fruitfulness, the reason for the propagation of the gospel in that time, it was not by eloquence of words. It was not by, uh, by their, their wisdom or their learning. It was by one thing and one thing only. It was because... The hand of the Lord was with them. That hand brought them from death into life. That hand brought them into cities and back out safely. That hand is all that mattered to them. And in contrast, I can't help but compare what took place in these opening chapters of the book of Acts and ask myself, do I see, do I feel, and do I follow the same things that they did? For no doubt, the hand of the Lord was with them. And I find moments where I would have to freely admit to you that I turn my gaze towards heaven and, and ask the question, God, are you even there? 
I don't imagine that I'm alone in this where we spend time, perhaps even both night and day, in prayer and we just get the sense, the feeling that as soon as our prayers come out of our mouth, they fall to the ground and they're never heard by the living God like they were in the book of Acts. I look at the landscape of our society and I see a society that is so turned against God. But what troubles me even more than a godless society turned against God is a church that seems to be utterly powerless. Utterly powerless to reach those in sin. Utterly powerless to to see genuine change in the lives that are confronted with the Lord Jesus Christ. Churches that are just trying to survive instead of thriving in the power under the work of God's hand. Oh, it ought to trouble every single one of us. It ought to trouble us that there are more churches closing than opening. It ought to trouble us that each generation within the church and within godly homes is is falling away from the Lord. And we ought to turn ourselves, um, we ought to look into that mirror and ask, why is this taking place? Has he forgotten us? For what made all the difference in this passage is that the hand of the Lord was with them. That was it. That was it. It was not their intellect. It was not their power. Um, Get this. They did not even have the complete New Testament at their disposal. But yet the hand of the Lord was with them. And where the hand of the Lord guided them, that is where they went. And the hand of the Lord provided for them as they went. And I would like to make an examination of those here this morning and preach a message entitled, The Hand of the Lord Was With Them. You say, well, Pastor Jerry, that's not a very creative sermon title. You're absolutely right. In fact, I plagiarized it straight out of the Word of God. Perhaps that's the best sermon title of all. Is any title that gets you away from this droning voice of mine and pulls you straight to the very words of God. For it is not my intention this morning to magnify myself or my own ideas, but if we could just set the infallibly pure, preserved Word of God in front of our heart and ask, what was it in their lives that led them to a place where God's hand was with them? Because that is what I'm interested in. Let's notice a few characteristics About these men. The first one is this is that they were a scattered people. They were scattered. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 19. The Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. They were scattered into the wind. They were not scattered, however, from God, but they were scattered for God. 
Sometimes when we come to a place of scattering in our own life, we don't recognize it as such. For these men and these women and their families, they were scattered geographically. They were there in Jerusalem. They had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and now they were scattered across the known world. Some into Antioch, some they had scattered to Cyprus and and Phoenice. They were traveling all over the Mediterranean, and they were traveling for one purpose and one purpose alone. You may say, well, I know that purpose, Pastor Jared. That purpose is that God was taking them everywhere so that they might take the gospel. But I want you to notice very closely the means, the method by which God did that very act. He did not do that by stirring in their hearts a great missions revival. He did not stir in their hearts or stand there at the foot of their bed, 900 feet tall, bright and shining, and said, Go, my dear children. No, instead, he did something very peculiar. God allowed persecution to show up. The persecution, the Bible says, that arose about the matter of Stephen. The story has been so fresh in my mind here in this past week. I cannot help escape the the boldness of that man, Stephen. For there he was preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching repentance, preaching that they would come to faith in Jesus, preaching that they would be saved. And a mountain of adversity rose against him so much so that he was drug out and stoned to death and became the first Christian martyr. And there he lied, lifeless on the ground, his blood still warm as it was absorbed by the dust of the ground. And Saul, that next generation persecutor of the church, watching the coats and garments of those men who were so excited and thirsty for the blood of Stephen that they took off their outer garments, though they might crucify, that they might kill Stephen even more vigorously. And now there is Saul holding those garments, watching the blood of Stephen pour out of his body. And Saul was not the only one watching. There were other believers watching this terrible act. There were other believers watching, trembling in fear and concern for themselves and for this family. And it was that concern that spread all over Jerusalem and all among the Jews, which is why many decided to pack up their homes, to saddle up their donkeys, and to head out. Verse number 19, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. And these were the ones to whom the hand of the Lord was with. Now I know that what our perception of this sometimes is why on earth was the hand of the Lord with a bunch of scaredy cats? I have heard it preached on more than one occasion that these men and women that were were scattered, they they were running in fear instead of standing in faith. And although that might make for good preaching sometimes... It's not entirely true. For I believe that this was the will of the Lord that they would be scattered. And who was it that the hand of the Lord was with? The hand of the Lord was with those that were scattered. And why were they scattered? They were scattered, first of all, because of fear. Because of fear. 
Yes, it is absolutely true that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And those were the words from the apostle Paul, the same man that held those garments to that young man, Timothy. And what is Paul saying to Timothy? He's saying, hey, God has not given you a spirit of fear. However, I also want to buffer that in saying that sometimes we fear justifiably so. It does not mean that that fear should control our actions. It does not mean that that fear should supersede the faith that we have in the protective and provisional hand of our God. But nonetheless, as they scattered, would we be honest about the fact that they scattered somewhat to the degree of their fear? And if you're here this morning, I want you to know this. That sometimes when you fear, fear can either drive you away from the Lord or it can bring you closer to him. That brokenness that can come of, because of uncertainty. That, 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 that place in our life where everything that we thought was good and sound and impenetrable by the darts of this world. When those walls break down and we're wondering what to do now and fear wells up in our hearts. Let us run to the rock that is higher than I. Let us place our hope in the Lord. For in those moments of fear, when we become broken, the Bible says this in Psalm 34, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. And sometimes it is the injury that is done unto us that causes fear, which sometimes brings us closer to the Lord. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're feeling rather scatter, scattered yourself. Maybe it's not fear that has scattered you, but maybe it's the disorienting uncertainty of your life that has scattered you. And you sit in this pew this morning like, like many of us and we just wonder, where is God in all of this? What is God doing and what is God's desire? And although I may not have the answers for what God is doing specifically there in your life, I can tell you what he is doing for certain is that he is drawing you to him. God always draws his people to him before he sends them for him. You may, there, you may be there in fear, scattered with uncertainty yourself, wondering how on earth are you going to get out. It reminds me of a story that was once told by the pastor and preacher D.L. Moody. He once described a conversation that he had had with an experienced shepherd in the highlands of Scotland. That shepherd told him that sheep would often wander into the rocks and get into places that they could not get out of. In fact, on some cases, sheep would be high in these mountains and the very sweet smell of that mountain grass would cause sheep to jump down 10 or even 12 feet down onto a small platform of grass. But because of the short stature of a sheep, they're not able to climb and certainly not able to jump back up. And there they 
There they graze, completely content to be on this small little ledge. And they don't even realize that they're stuck until the grass is gone. And when the grass is gone, those sheep will begin to bleed off into the open air, hoping that their shepherd will come and save them. And that experienced shepherd explained to D.L. Moody that it is beneficial when a shepherd arrives to look down at his sheep and not immediately go down there to save them. Because what would often happen is as the shepherd would descend, that in the, the feverishness of that moment, the sheep would sometimes run right off the edge. Now, that sounds, forgive me, stupid to me, but there's something I've learned. Sheep are dumb. Yeah, yeah. In parallel, we're dumb too. And sometimes we end up on that ledge. We end up on that ledge and that grass that looked so green which brought us there. We have consumed it all and realized that the rest of it was full of thorns anyway. And we finally come to a place where we're calling out. Help us Lord, help us. And we look to that chief shepherd hoping that he will soon appear. And this expert shepherd said to D.L. Moody... I don't jump down on that ledge until their hunger has so famished them that the sheep become almost faint because only then can I descend down and they will rely on my strength to pick them up and I can bear them on my shoulder and bring them up that rocky cliff and that precipice. And I was thinking about that. And oh, sometimes when we end up in despair and we become scattered and spread abroad and feel that, that God has forsaken us, forsaken us, could it be that it has not been God who has forsaken us, but instead He is preparing us? He is preparing us that we would receive his hand. That it would not have to be a hand of correction that arrives, but instead a hand that we cast ourselves onto in full assurance and reliance. And when I look to verse number 21, I am reminded that the thing that made all the difference is that the hand of the Lord was with them. And it's my prayer that if he has to scatter me, then so be it. If he has to bring me to a place of weakness that he can be strong, so be it. If the Lord has to bring me through many dangers and toils and snares, then let it be done that I might taste and see that the Lord is good, that I might learn to rely on the tender care and the leading of his hand. For it is his hand that desires to guide us all along. And if you're here in a place where you feel that he has forsaken you, let it be said that he will never leave you nor forsake you and make Maybe he's just guiding you by that hand. You say, oh, pastor, I can't see it. Let me remind you of the words of the hymnist. I'm holding to the unseen hand that guides me through this dreary land. And some sweet day I'll reach that stand still holding to the unseen hand. Amen. Oh, what was it? 
that allowed the hand of the Lord to be with them. They were scattered. They were scattered to a place where they had to rely on that hand. The next characteristic that I notice about these men and women as they were scattered abroad is not only were they they scattered, but it, it seems that they were sincere. There was a sincerity to them and their relationship with the Lord that could not be broken even though life was threatened and tragedy stepped in. For we observe their behavior in this way. In verse number 19, as they observe the persecution that arose about Stephen, yes, the Bible says that they traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, but look at what they were doing, preaching the word. In verse number 20, it describes these these people again, uh, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which uh, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And I notice in verse number 19 and in verse number 20 that we see a sincerity there. Do we not see the same sincerity in the apostle Peter here when tragedy even came into his life and he was placed in a very uncomfortable situation? The Bible says, says in verse number 17 concerning Peter, for as much then as God gave them the light gift as he did unto us, he makes this statement, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, what was I that I should withstand God? What was I that I should withstand God? And even though tragedy came in, even though difficulty showed up, they were sincere in their relationship with the Lord, knowing that the most valuable thing that they had was Jesus. Knowing that the most precious commodity in their life was not their safety, it was not their house, it was not the, the comfortable routines of their life, it was Jesus Christ and Him crucified, risen, and coming again. And what was it that was on their lips? It was Jesus. What was it that was in their hearts? It was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Oh, and when I look into their lives and gaze into their eyes, I don't see a people who have forsaken their God because of adversity. I see a people who have clung to their God because of adversity. What characteristics do we see about these people to whom the Bible says that the hand of the Lord was with them? that they were so genuine in their love for him that no condition or circumstance in their life was going to cause them to let go of their hope in him. And I recognize that human nature is completely contrary to this. We forget when the Bible says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When that persecution shows up, when that difficulty shows up, when that adversary begins to run quick at our heels and snag us and trip us up and get us in a snare, our immediate response is, well, I I guess God has forgotten about me. I say, no, let us never, even entertain the thought that God has forgotten us about us, forgotten about us, because it is what I believe with all of my heart that the hand of the Lord is with us. 
For the hand of the Lord was with them as they were scattered. The hand of the Lord was with them because they were, they were sincere. And the hand of the Lord was with them because they were led by his spirit. They were spirit-led. When I look at this, this passage, I, I wonder, what is it that, that drove them to be as they are? Verse 19, at the close of that, of that verse, it was the preaching of the word. Verse 20, at the close of that verse, it was the preaching of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we see that, that it was the Holy Spirit of God that was leading them. Their location was changing, but not their purpose. Their circumstances were changing, but not their love. The difficulty of their life had been turned on its head, whereas once there was great celebration as the Holy Spirit descends on Jerusalem, and now there's great adversity, but they were unchanged in the fact that they were going to forsake all and follow Jesus. They had decided that it was all to Jesus that they would surrender, all to Jesus they would freely give. They would always follow, and they would always trust Him, and they would always pursue wherever his spirit led them. Yes, their location was changing, but not their purpose. And the Bible says that the hand of the Lord was with them. I want that to be said about me. It reminds me of, of another man whom the hand of the Lord was with. A man whom we find all the way back in the book of Exodus. You're welcome to come with me or can listen intently in the 33rd chapter of Exodus. The man's name is Moses. This man that was led by a pillar of fire by, by night and a pillar of cloud by day. This man that was used mightily of the Lord in the parting of the Red Sea, the provision of man. I mean, Moses stands like like a mountain peak in the Old Testament. But there was a period of time where Moses was in a pretty tough spot. He wasn't sure. He wasn't sure where they were supposed to go. Because of the stubbornness of God's people, God's judgment was looming and, and he didn't know what to do or, or where to go. And Moses comes to the Lord and he seeks the answer in, in verse number 13. And he says, now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy, shy, thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And Moses was at a crossroads. 
a crossroads of despair as judgment was about to come on the people. And he comes unto the Lord and he begs for the Lord's mercy. But even above that, he begs for the Lord's guidance and the Lord's direction. And I, I pray that that would always be our same reaction. That when difficulty arrives or when uncertainty shows up, that our response is always to go to God and to pray for the Lord's mercy and pray for the Lord's direction. But I noticed something about Moses' prayer is that he was not satisfied with God just pointing the way and saying, go that way, Moses, and lead these people. For he makes this statement in verse 13. He says, now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way. Notice the reason that I may know thee. I may know thee. I feel that sometimes we're more interested in other people knowing us than we are knowing God. As God looks down, he is looking for worshipers that will worship him in spirit and truth. He's looking for people who want to know him. Oh, wasn't it Paul that said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection? And God does something incredible with this man, Moses, who wants to know him. When we look to verse number 21, we, we see a response of the Lord. And the Lord said, speaking to Moses, Behold, there is a place by me. You know, there's still a place by the Lord. There is room at the cross for you, the hymn writer says. And if this entire morning as we've been focusing on the hand of the Lord being with them, you have sat there thinking that you have never felt that the hand of the Lord was upon you. Perhaps it's because that hand has been waving and drawing your attention towards him and his message to you is, there is a place by me. There is a place beside me. There is a place so close to God that as you inhale, you can smell the scent of our Savior. There is a place by God that is so near to Him that others looking onward will confuse you with the very presence of God. There is a place by Him that is a shelter. There is a place by Him, as the Lord Himself says, there is a place by Him, by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. There is a place by Him, by Him that is security and peace and stability where you're no longer scattered. Yes, you may be moving geographically. You may be having a difficult time emotionally, but there is a place that is unshakable in heaven and earth, and it's a place that's by God. So how do you get there? How do you get there? And the Bible says, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, the very next verse, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock, notice this, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Would it be too much of a stretch to say that the hand of the Lord was with Moses.
Because Moses desired to be led of God's Spirit. One of the biggest enemies to us following the Lord is not the world out there and the temptation, the influence of it. It's the desires of our own flesh. And if we're going to come to a place where the hand of the Lord is with us, it may take some scattering. But we need to respond with sincerity and an earnest desire to know Him, to draw near to Him, and thence be led by Him. And I would imagine that there's two groups of people listening to my voice this morning. There are those much like me who at times you feel that thick cloud of God's presence in your life so much so that when you breathe in, you feel like you're almost breathing in a little part of God. He's so dense and close around you. Thank the Lord for those moments and days. However, if you're in that first group, as I am, you also know that there come times where his hand feels so far away that you can't see it standing on your tippy toes looking off into the horizon and wonder, where is God? If you're in that first group, oh, let's not be scattered Let's come back to him in sincerity and take all of our burdens, all of our sorrows that we thought were against us and cast them at the feet of Jesus and throw ourselves into his caring arms. But there is another group that may be here this morning. A group and you arrived at church today for whatever reason, perhaps you were in, invited by a friend or uh, over this weekend you just felt a sense that you needed to be back in the house of God. But the reality is those nail-scarred hands, you know about them. You know that Jesus died on the cross. You know that he was buried. You know that he rose from the dead. But as sure as we are here today, you are uncertain as to whether or not if you were to die, you would be on your way to heaven. You tremble in fear with that question. What if you were to die today? Oh, and you feel so scattered because some have told you that it's by, by works of righteousness, which we have done. Some say that it's by baptism. Some say it's by church membership. Some say it's by denominational affiliation. Some say it's that God's going to weigh our good works and our bad works. And some say it's by baptism. And, and some say it's by being a general good person. And, and we feel so scattered and don't know what to believe. Could I draw you to his nail-scarred hand and remind you? you that that hand is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by him, but by the way of the cross, by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's never been a time where you've accepted that sacrifice by faith, then friend, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. And it's my prayer that that conviction you're feeling, you would recognize as the hand of God 
and that you would allow him to draw you to him that you might be saved. My question is, which group are you? For we all desire that the hand of the Lord be upon us.